Well, hello, kids, and welcome to episode number eight of the Eager Beaver podcast, a podcast providing incisive commentary on Canadian politics and general culture. Today, recording day is Saturday, June 26, 2021, and it's a gray day with a touch of rain here at the Beaver Lodge, which will surely make the herb garden happy. Given that the question of how well, or rather how poorly, Canada has treated Indigenous peoples over the decades is, and rightly so, the top news story of these times. And as Monday was National Indigenous Peoples Day, we here at the True North Eager Beaver have prepared a special episode that will feature a collection of Indigenous-focused stories. I'm your host, the Eager Beaver, and I'm also very glad that you have settled... I'm your host, the Eager Beaver, and I am also very glad that you have settled in around the campfire to hear more of our takes on the Canadian political scene yet again this week. Whether you are fishing in the streams for salmon as Mr. Grizzly does, or are foraging through the forest for berries as I like to do, all are welcome. Of course, a big thank you goes to our podcast's founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com who continue to be our champions. Because it's always nice to have people who tell you that you're doing just fine. Given we've just posted a cross-Canada COVID update special, no update in this episode. But in addition to our collection of Indigenous-focused stories, we have an extremely timely and engaging interview for you today, and we are beyond excited to offer it to you. Our interview guest for this episode is Bryson Sillaboy, a Mi'kmaq gentleman who caught our eye with some advice on Indigenous allyship etiquette, which, upon reading, we definitely thought we need to share this with the kids. Bryson was extremely generous with his time, which means that we'll have a portion of that interview here with a special two-part extended interview to be released later in the week. And we'll finish with a show of gratitude to kind kids who have supported us again, listener feedback, and news that brings hope that things will get better. So with that, kids, break out the marshmallows and roasting branches because here we go! So before we continue onward and upward, it's time to welcome our podcast's engineering wizard, your new best friend, Mr. Grizzly. Hello, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver, how you doing? I am doing pretty well today. I have to admit that I'm uh, a little lonely. My beaver sweetie is uh, away for uh, several, several weeks. <laughs> I, but, yes, I understand. Yes. Yes. But uh, my spirits are up, uh, you know, and uh, things are uh, getting better, uh, you know, with COVID and everything. So, uh you know, and summer's opening up. And uh, so, yeah, you know, good spirits. Good How about spirits. you? Uh, you know, uh, much, much the same now. Uh, of course, we had a chance to hang out last Saturday, which was awesome. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, and, and the weather was spectacular. It's a little, you know, gray and overcast today, but we do need the rain for the uh, trees and the flowers and the streams and the farmers and all the people that helped to feed us. So, you know, I'll take a rainy day. Uh, and today's one of those days. So it's all good. It's all and good. We're recording. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's like, I'm not missing out on anything because it's gray and rainy outside. So we can <laughs> sit in the studio and get some work done, which I think is apropos 
I like providing the sunshine. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> As All I like right. to say, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shall we get to the news then? I believe we shall. All right, let's do this. Warning. This next block touches on, among other subjects, residential schools. If you are feeling triggered, the National Indian Residential School Crisis Hotline can be reached at 1-866-925-4419. Topic 1. Unmarked Graves. News of the shocking discovery of an unmarked grave on the grounds of a former residential institution in Kamloops, British Columbia, not only shook the country, but traveled the world, leading for the United Nations to call for all known or suspected sites to be searched. The Kamloops discovery was enabled by a grant from the BC government, and since then, several provincial governments have stepped up. Ontario Minister of Energy, Mines, Northern Development, and Indigenous Affairs, Greg Rickford, has announced $10 million for the effort to identify, investigate, protect, commemorate. Alberta, being the province in which the greatest number of residential institutions existed, its Premier Jason Kenney announced $8 million. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe quickly pledged his government would also help, as Saskatchewan is by far the province from which hailed the greatest number of residential school students. As such, the shocking announcement a few days ago of what most likely is, according to the Coessis First Nation, the most significantly substantial to date in Canada discovery of unmarked graves should surprise nobody. A disturbing 751 such unmarked graves were detected at the Merivale Indian Residential School, where the Coessis First Nation is located in southern Saskatchewan. The school operated from 1899 to 1997. I'm sure we'll have more about this in future episodes. But as expected, Premier Mo could not be a big enough man to meet the moment, and he spoiled the move with politics by saying, And most certainly we're going to do it, whether the federal government moves forward or not. Of course, prior to this move, <clears throat> Premier Scotty come lately was too lazy to look up that the government of Canada had, some time ago, committed $33 million over three years to the cause and was consulting last summer with Indigenous stakeholders about how they would take the lead and which protocols would be followed. But those stopped as a result of COVID with $6 million already spent. The remaining $27 million will surely be dispersed with greater urgency. Uh, there was no need for the dig. None. The dig ruins the solemnity. You know, yes. you don't take advantage of the suffering of this type of discovery to say, we're going to help and then do some political contrasting. It's not the moment. All politics go out the window in this instance because we're talking about children. Children. 
and, and a lot of, so there are a lot of people who are not able to get the focus in on, on what this meant because it's not their children. Yeah. But I want every Gen X, every boomer to imagine that that was your daughter or son or niece or nephew or grandchild that was taken from you and sent to an institution where they were stripped of all of their rights, their language, their culture, their beliefs, their goddamn clothing. Mm-hmm. And then they die. And then they die and are thrown and you don't get to know about it. You you don't you don't know about it. They're buried and and now if buried. If buried, if buried. Cowasis they did have headstones, but then they just got rid of all of them in nineteen sixty nine, like it never happened. Apparently uh, uh, the person from the church that was in charge of the time had some dispute with someone from the First Nation, and that was the the action that they took. Um, that's that, that's the tale, uh, at least uh, as I've been hearing it on the news. Uh, uh, so, I, yeah. I'm not a parent. Uh, I I don't have children, and at my age, I'm not going to start. But it doesn't mean I don't feel compassion. And I don't feel that we committed genocide in this country. Because that's what was done. And it was done by the government. And it was done by the Catholic Church. And nobody is answering for it. And damn it, it's gut-wrenching. And once again, let's remind everybody that this was done in our names. Yes. And on our dime. Yeah. You paid for this. Yeah. It's genocide. There's no other term. It's genocide. genocide. Plain, simple, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I've shed tears over this. And yeah. somebody said, how could you, a 53-year-old white dude, shed tears? Because it's children, goddammit because I'm a human being, because I care about my fellow citizens, I care about my fellow indigenous people, I care about humanity, and when, when the state does this, it's no different than what the Nazis did in World War II. And if you mm-hmm. think I'm wrong, send me an email and tell me how I'm wrong. It's just... It's just... I've 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 cried too. I mean, it's it's we're just the basic human decency. It's gone. They threw it out the window. They did not. They were not humans to them. They did they, not they, they, see okay, these children as human beings. They that's didn't. exactly it, right. They didn't. And I know this just like compared to the heaviness of what we just said. This is just a tiny little pet peeve. But Premier Doug Ford, Minister of Energy, Mines, Northern Development, and Indigenous Affairs? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. All four? Yeah. One person? Really? Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a portfolio. Go ahead. Energy, Mines, Nor- Northern Development, and people. Indigenous Affairs, yeah, yeah. Like, let's hive that off, all right? Well, come on, human capital to him, that's all it is. It's human capital. 
I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's 2021. Yeah. <laughs> this when you're lumped up with the three resources. I'm just saying. <clears throat> Not a good look. No. Uh, oh god. But I digress. Anyway. Meanwhile, back in Europe. While the Pope announced new protocols henceforth allowing clergy to be criminally charged, an apology from the Roman Catholic Church does not appear to be forthcoming at the moment. One step forward, uh, one step back. Uh, yep. Apparently, uh, it's the uh, groupment of bishops that have to petition specifically uh, for the Pope to do this in terms of the protocols, and apparently that hasn't happened yet. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, right now the suggestion has been more that, uh, we seek apologies and actions from the various archdioceses, which of course need to do their part, but let's not kid ourselves. You know, the apology has to come from the head of the church and it's not like the head of the church hasn't delivered similar apologies. Well, like, here's you know, a in Ireland and South idea. America and whatnot. So, you know, we shouldn't be singled out for special treatment here. Here's a silly idea. Since they ran these institutions, and that's what they were, hmm, maybe it's time they start paying some taxes. Now, it's funny that you mentioned that, but uh, the mayor, I believe, of Iqaluit is uh, trying to uh, have that happen uh, in, uh, in Nunavut. Long overdue. Yep. Uh, Mara Kelly. I can't remember his first name off the top of my head. Um, so yeah, we went to the Pope and the Pope merely offered a woefully insufficient statement of sympathy. I think if it is necessary, we will take stronger measures. Before we have to start taking the church to court, I'm very hopeful that religious leaders will understand that this is something they need to participate in stated Prime Minister Trudeau, indicating his personal disappointment as a Catholic with the less-than-tepid response from the Church. While many bishops have stepped up to apologize and make their records more available so that uh, can be completed as fulsome as possible in accounting of Indigenous children who never came home from school, it is not enough to recognize the full scope and weight of the damage done. To date, we know of 72 graves uncovered at the Battleford Industrial School in Saskatchewan in the 1970s, the coffins of 34 children at Dunbow Residential School in Alberta in 2001, and 104 potential graves in three cemeteries at the Brandon Indian Residential School in Manitoba. Work has been delayed due to COVID-19. There were also two dozen graves discovered near the Muskowequan Resi Residential School in Regina in 2019. The 215 recently detected graves in Kamloops, and now this case, which brings the number of discovered unmarked graves to over 1,000. And that, my friends, is the tip of the bloody iceberg. And the iceberg is bloody. <sighs> there will be much... Much, much more to come. So much more. get ready for Canada. Listen, the hour of our reckoning has come. Mm -hmm. It's long overdue. It's long overdue. Our Canadian smugness, which has existed for a long time, we would often look south of our the 49th parallel, parallel to our 
our friends in the United States and say, well, you know, we got rid of slavery earlier and we didn't treat our, you know, people of color like that. Yeah, we did. We did and we still do. And if you think there's no racism in Canada, you're willfully ignorant or blind to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not angry with you if you believe that there's none. I'm not angry at you because possibly you have never been exposed to it because you've never been on the receiving end of it. Mm. Now, that being said, you need to learn that it's here, very much here in 2021. Just because it hasn't happened to you does not mean it's not happening. Exactly. It happens. It happens mm. every day. Yeah. And you got to understand too that, and I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, people seem to misunderstand that racism is not always a white hooded individual burning across spewing hatred directly in your face. It's not Mm -hmm. always that Mm -hmm. it comes in many forms, denying somebody a job opportunity because of their name Mm -hmm. or their religion or the color of their skin. That's racism. Mm -hmm. The white privilege thing, you know how I can walk into a stadium with my dad and I don't get frisked, but the two young gentlemen of color behind me both do. It's racism. It's systemic. Yeah. Canada is said to be a nice place and it is. And it's friendly for most of us. And we tend not to shoot one another, thankfully, but not yet all of us. We've got a long way to go. Yeah. We've got a long way to go. Here too. Unfortunately, apartheid, genocide, and racism are branches of our family tree. It's not all we are. No, no. No, no. It's not what we seek to be today. Goodness, no. But it is a part of who we are. And it is some of who we are even today. And we can't deny it. I know it's an ugly truth, but oftentimes the truth is ugly. And you need to face it. And we need to do better. And I'm getting the feeling and, you know, I'm listening to the stories and I'm listening, you know, trying to keep my finger on the pulse and looking at polling and stuff. And I said, there's a moment mm-hmm. and there seems, even though the, the information was out there, you know, people seem to be are appropriately viscerally shocked and seem to be ready to face this moment not everyone but enough of us and all that that's all that matters is all that matters is that there are enough of us yes enough of us want to work on this i think you hit the nail on the head right there i think you've hit the nail on the head right there you know 20 years ago this would not have had the impact that it has today Mm -hmm. and i know that sounds harsh and terrible but it's true because today you've got uh, millennials that were quite sensitive and you've got Gen Z who was raised by Gen X and Gen Z raised by Gen X who did not want their children to suffer through what most of us did. And people will dismiss them. Oh, well, they're sensitive and everybody gets a trophy and life is not that easy and we don't, we never got a special place to cry or blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but you know what? We never got to deal with trauma either. 
We never got to deal with the things that, that were thrust upon us. We didn't get to confront our bullies. We didn't get to say shouldn't be bullied. And now you've got Gen Z who is not putting up with any of that crap, which is why the sensitivity and the emotions that I'm feeling is a direct result of the reaction of Gen Z who's going like, no, no, this is not acceptable. We will not tolerate this. The kids are all right. The kids are all right. Creator be thanked. And I learn from them. Yep. And I'm eager to learn from them. Now, every now and then, they're going to make mistakes, and I'll go, what, what, they're young, so they're going to make a lot of mistakes. I still make a ton of them. But I learn from them because they still have open minds and open hearts, and I've learned to reopen mine, both my mind and my heart, because I've chosen to, Right. Topic two, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Of the 94 calls to action listed in the Truth and Reconciliation Report, at least 12 are completed with many others in progress. The most recently completed one was Call to Action 15, Passage in Parliament of an Approval to Implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, or UNDRIP, passed in 2007 at the United Nations. Bill C-15 received royal assent in time for National Indigenous Peoples Day, following a final Senate vote of 61 to 10, with nine senators abstaining. We note here that the then-joint NDP-Green government of British Columbia did this provincially in 2019. The law forces the Government of Canada to collaboratively develop, within a two-year time frame, an action plan to harmonize all federal laws to coexist with UNDRIP. If this sounds familiar to listeners, a similar exercise was required a few years ago when equal marriage became a reality. Justice Minister and Attorney General David Lametti celebrated, This is a big day. This is good news. Hoping for a roadmap to reconciliation. By tweet, Grand Chief of the AFN Perry Belgard opined, Canada must now take all measures necessary to ensure that the laws of Canada are consistent with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. UNDRIP will help right the injustices of past and ensure that Indigenous peoples have a bright and prosperous future in Canada. On that note, as an aside, National Indigenous Peoples Day was the very last day Perry Bellegarde served in his capacity as Grand Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. He is stepping down since stepping up in 2014. We've moved the yardsticks, but progress doesn't mean parity. We still have to keep investing in housing and water and infrastructure and education and healthcare, so that gap keeps closing. It's only been seven years. It's going to take five, 10, 15, 20 years for that gap to eventually close because progress does not mean parity, and we've got to get the same starting line. Thank you for your exceptional and dignified service to Indigenous peoples and to the country. We salute you, sir. Thinking of Murray Sinclair, right? We're mm-hmm. talking about him. And, uh, you know, people were talking that it's time for uh, you know, a governor general who's uh, from the Indigenous community. And mm-hmm. you know, we thought of Murray Sinclair right away. But uh, now former Grand Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Bellegard, would certainly be most quality candidate. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. If anybody's listening, 
This was the third attempt to get Bill C-15 approved by Parliament. According to CBC, Former NDP MP Romeo Saganash introduced two private members' bills to implement UNDRIP. The first was defeated at second reading in the Commons in 2014, and the second stalled in the Senate just before the 2019 election. But as was the case for Rona Ambrose's bill requiring sexual assault law training for new justices, the Liberals turned Saganash's bill into a government one. Mostly conservative money worshippers fearmonger that this law will give Indigenous peoples a veto over resource projects, but that's bovine fecal matter because there's no lack of examples of openness for respectful collaboration on resource projects on the part of Indigenous peoples. However, the requirement for free, prior, and informed consent would legally demand enforcement of what is known in certain circles as the JIPA principle, in which JIPA stands for Greater Involvement of People Affected, for such projects, as well as other laws and policies. It's a variation on nothing about us without us, in which involving Indigenous people as full partners right from the conceptual phase is viewed as the respectful way to approach such initiatives, one more likely lead to lead to successful projects than the current more adversarial or dominance approach by which we consult after the fact. Hmm. Well, um, let me see. What are my thoughts on this? As the uh, segment began, um, well, money worshippers, right? Mm-hmm. Money worshippers are fear-mongering. And that's exactly what they're doing because what do they want? They want to take indigenous peoples out of the equation altogether so that they can reap a greater share of the profit margin. Mm-hmm. And get there faster. Oh, well, yes. Let's eliminate the red tape. Funny how red tape. Mm. Right? Mm, I see where you're going. You see where I I'm going? Where you, I see where you're going. Hmm. Uh, mm. I think it's time for a commercial. Yes. <laughs> I'm biting my tongue. Let's take a commercial break. <laughs> we'll be back right after this, kids. Hi, this is Mr. Grizzly. Telling you that, um, well, I don't have hands. I have paws and claws. But if I had hands, I'd be more than happy to wash them. And if a mask would fit over my giant snout... I'd be happy to wear it. But I live in the woods and climb trees for a living and eat salmon on occasion. You don't do that, so please, wash your hands, wear a mask, and remember to stay two meters apart. And if two meters is complicated, that's about the length of two hockey sticks on average. We good? And welcome back, kids. Topic three, Joyce Echequan. Accountability for Systemic Racism. The coroner's inquest into the death of Joyce Echequan, an Atacamic woman and mother of seven who died after live streaming the abusive remarks of hospital staff, has officially closed. Dr. Alain Vadeboncoeur, an emergency physician at the Montreal Heart Institute, testified that Echequan died of pulmonary edema, an excess of fluid in the lungs. He further testified that Echequan wasn't properly supervised on the morning of September 28, 2020 after she was given powerful sedatives and had been restrained. She went into cardiac arrest later that day and died. 
the edema may have been the result of having been given morphine, despite her concerns that she would have had an adverse reaction to it, as according to her family, she was allergic to it. We also learned that a staff member attempted, unsuccessfully, to delete video from her phone, in which, according to Wikipedia, when Echequan was moaning in pain, an employee asked her if she is done acting stupid. Another employee told Echequan that she made some bad choices and asked her what her children would be thinking if they saw her, where she quietly responded with, That's why I came here. Echequan was also told that she is only good for sex. The employees were the ones paying for this and that she was stupid as hell. You go for care. Okay. You go to the hospital for care. Like I, I, I heard that before. I've heard that on the radio, mm-hmm. and I've read it in print. Mm-hmm. But to read it out loud and speak it into a microphone, like I just did, mm-hmm. is a gut punch. Mm-hmm. Like, where's the bloody and- humanity? Exactly. I was just about to say, where's the basic human decency? You know, I have have friends that are doctors, and they have worked all over Canada. And I have friends that are nurses. And this is something that they would never do. Never. Because when they took their oath, Mm -hmm. do no harm, Mm -hmm. serve your patients, they meant it. Mm Mm-hmm. They meant it. Yeah. And I've talked to some doctors who said, look, I get a little frustrated because I know that this individual or that individual has a substance abuse problem, and I know that they do. I'm going to try and gently help them in any way I can. But what they did to this woman is criminal. Mm. It's criminal. Yeah. (sighs) Due to the fact that she rightfully, did not trust medical staff and was not fluent in French, Echequan had developed a habit of recording her hospital visits so a cousin could translate for her. And it seems, well, like we said, she had reason to do so. Also, according to Wikipedia, after recognizing Echequan from her Facebook Live video, 33-year-old Jennifer McDonald, a patient attendant at a local Alzheimer's center, who was at the hospital to support her father, reported a late August 2020 incident in which Echequan's screaming in a nearby cubicle was expressing concerns about her treatment. McDonald described Echequan's medical attendants as indifferent and verbally aggressive, said they were ignoring her pleas, and overheard a nurse ask, will she ever shut up? She approached Echequan at one point to see if she could help, but was told by staff to mind her own business. Canadian Federal Minister of Indigenous Services Mark Miller met Echequan's son to apologize to her family for the incident. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau denounced the incident as the worst form of racism. But the most curious response came from Quebec Premier Francois Legault, who condemned the medical staff's comments to Echequan as racist. It insists on stating that Quebec magically is still the one jurisdiction in the country in which systemic racism does not exist. <laughs> That's a joke, right? He can't be bloody serious. He's deadly 
serious, which is why we got Bill 21. Well, he's just ignoring the problem and pretending it doesn't exist because he's a white male. And it's not affected him, so it's not real, right? And I think also there's... Um, there might be from this, uh, the school that given that Quebec has been a minority language and there has been linguistic persecution, mm-hmm. we've been persecuted. So we possibly cannot be racist. We know that's a line of crap, <clears throat> but that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I get it. Uh, right. I mean, if, uh, so, uh, but that, that's the place where they're coming from. And I mean, it's, not untrue. No, I've <laughs> not been persecuted. So, but I mean, culturally, that's that's where they claim that they're coming from. Now, I don't know what's in Mister Lugo's heart to know whether or not he genuinely believes that, or if he's using that as a shield. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's that's a, that's a fair and valid statement. It's a fair and valid statement. It is it a shield? Is it? it does he genuinely believe what he says? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I honestly don't know. But still, the end result is that you have a group of people in the province of Quebec that have less access to government employment by virtue of the fact of what it is that they wear while being asked to pay the same amount of taxes. Mm -hmm. And in order to get those access, access those services and those jobs, they have to agree to not live their authentic lives. Mm -hmm. Well, look, I'll I'll give you a, a quick for instance. So, I live in Ottawa, Canada's capital, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We like to pride ourselves on being a a good city, uh, big middle class, uh, a lot of government employees, a lot of opportunities, a lot of high tech. Um, It's becoming a much more racially diverse, multicultural city than it's ever been at any point in history. It's mm-hmm. still pretty white. I'm not going to lie. It still is. But it's, it's getting better. We have a very large indigenous community in this city. Mm-hmm. Very large. Now, if I get in my car and I drive for about an hour north, I can end up in Manawaki. Mm-hmm. Now, the title of the town should give it away to you. Mm-hmm. There is a, a, a cultural divide there. There's the francophone. And indigenous. And I have experienced firsthand how many of the indigenous peoples in that community are treated by the non-indigenous peoples mm-hmm. without getting super specific about who did what to whom. Mm-hmm. What I witnessed firsthand while working in that community because I could occasionally had to go up there to do work at different office locations and retail locations. And there is a very distinct uh, division. And I noticed, as an Anglophone, that the indigenous peoples were really cool with me, but they weren't necessarily treated in the same manner by some of the locals. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't want to be accusatory or pointing fingers. I'm what I experienced. One one treated me with kindness and acceptance. The other one treated me with I'm there to do a job and I noticed that there was a 
different treatment for the clients in the particular establishment I was working in that day. And I was treated better than the local individuals who lived in that community who didn't look anything like me. It's it's systemic. It exists, and it can't be ignored. Yeah. In another case, Ontario Superior Court Justice Helen Pierce sentenced to eight years in prison. Braden Bushby, twenty-two, convicted of manslaughter last December in the July fourth, twenty seventeen, death of Barbara Kettner, a thirty-four-year-old mother of three children, an Anishinaabe woman from the Wabagoon Lake First Nation. Kettner died in Thunder Bay, Ontario in 2017, a few months after a metal trailer hitch thrown from a moving vehicle by Bushby, who had been drinking heavily and admitted wanting to harass sex trade workers, struck her in the abdomen, after which he exulted that he had gotten one. By doing so, you have minimized women, disrespected them, and made them feel unsafe. Your actions are an affront to all women. Justice Pierce said when delivering the sentence. The court has also been told that it is a common experience for Indigenous people in Thunder Bay to have objects thrown at them from passing cars. Eggs, drinks, bottles, bricks, garbage. You have joined in this disgusting activity. Now we can add trailer hitches to that list. Madam Justice Pierce further stated. What you did, Mr. Bushby, was not brave. It was not manly. It was not impressive. It did not make our community a better place. Something happens when you attack the dignity of another person. You lose your own in the process. That's what happened here. With your trailer hitch, you targeted a vulnerable woman on the street when she could not protect herself, and you did it from the safety of a vehicle so you could just drive away. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Crown it, lawyers. Sorry. Sorry, I just I had to take a minute there. Yep. That was hard to read. Yep. It, it, it and 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 you read it. I think with the intensity, she probably delivered it. I hope so, because it deserved that intensity. Mm-hmm. Crown lawyers had been seeking a sentence of eight to twelve years, while defense counsel had instead been looking for a four-year sentence. Bushby admitted to throwing the trailer hitch and pleaded guilty to aggravated assault at the start of the trial, but that charge was stayed following the manslaughter conviction. Bushby is appealing the conviction. His application for bail pending the appeal was denied. In yet other news, two cases of Indigenous citizens winding up dead in the space of a few weeks last June in New Brunswick following encounters with the police have been closed. According to the CBC, Rodney Levi, 48, of the Metapanagyag First Nation was shot and killed by RCMP on June 12, 2020, when they responded to a call for assistance about 30 kilometers southwest of Miramichi. Prosecutors opted not to charge the officer, determining that based on the evidence, the officer acted lawfully. Additionally, the Public Prosecution Service of New Brunswick said in a news release, there was no reasonable prospect of a conviction based on the evidence of the Edmonston Police Force officer who fatally shot Chantel Moore in New Brunswick last year, and thus he won't face criminal charges as his actions constituted reasonable self-defense under the circumstances. Moore, a 26-year-old from the Tlaoquiat First Nation in British Columbia, was shot during a wellness check on June 4, 2020. 
Though there will be no trials for these two cases, the provincial government of New Brunswick had announced that a coroner's inquest into both deaths will be held, the one for Rodney Levi being scheduled for October and the one for Chantal Moore slated to start December 6th in the Edmonston region. Inquests are quasi-judicial processes that examine the circumstances of a person's death, after which a jury issues recommendations on how to avoid similar deaths in the future. Finally, the Canadian press reports that Quebec Indigenous Affairs Minister Yann Lafreniere announced $14 million over four years to adapt its justice system to the realities of Indigenous communities, to promote and reinforce community justice initiatives, to develop culturally relevant processes to resolving conflicts in, indig- in Indigenous communities, and to reduce the overrepresentation of Indigenous peoples in the justice system. $3 million of that money will go to hiring staff to produce pre-sentencing reports, which will take into account specific difficulties experienced by First Nations people. Those reports are known in Quebec as being Gledzu reports. Uh, what, what reports? Gledu reports. So you know how in the United States they're talking about critical race theory? Oh, okay. Where, okay, you know, okay. There are things that may have been happened in your past, whatnot, that mm-hmm. that should be taken into consideration when it comes for sentencing. Well, the same thing has been applied in uh, is applied in Quebec. And the, they're called Gledu reports based on uh, I think it was a commission, and the person that was in charge of the commission was named Gledu, his last name. Okay, that that does make sense. Uh, there there is an overrepresentation of Indigenous peoples in prisons in Canada. I know this because I've worked in a prison. Mm-hmm. And, I believe forty um, percent of the female incarcerated population in Canada is Indigenous. Yes, yeah, and they're definitely not forty percent of the population. Uh, n- no, what? Far from it. Maybe, maybe, maybe four on a good day, <laughs> if that. Yeah. So, and we're and we're just talking about just the women now. That's right. <laughs> so, so divide that. <laughs> so again, Canada, toss away your smugness with how. Uh, black people or African-American. And, and, and the reason I did, you got to differentiate the two because not every black person is African or of African descent. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to diminish any of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But let's, let's, you know, Canada, let's not be smug about how America has treated black people because Canada is no damn better in the way we have treated First Nations peoples were no better. We didn't enslave them. We just killed them mm. and institutionalized them. We didn't enslave them, though. But, you know, we took all their lands away and said, you can hunt and fish over on this rocky crop here where you can't grow crops. But yeah. we, didn't, we didn't enslave them. But we just mm. pushed them onto reserves and put them in institutions and stole their children and eliminated their culture. But we didn't enslave them. Hmm. We just rob them of their essence. Yes. Just. Just. That's all. That's all we did. Topic four, the budget. The latest federal budget proposed more than $18 billion over the next five years to meet the government's objective to close infrastructure gaps in First Nations, Inuit, and Métis communities by 2030. Of those $18 billion, an initial tranche of $6 billion to fix everything from homes to roads was announced. But national Indigenous leaders say more is needed. That falls a bit short, said Assembly of First Nations National Chief Perry Bellegarde in an interview with CBC News. 
The dollars that have been identified are moving in the right direction, but infrastructure is a huge, huge need on reserves, from housing to adequate water and sewage systems to infrastructure, from community buildings to roads and bridges. Some estimates suggest up to $30 billion is needed to deal with infrastructure gaps in First Nations alone, and thus has required a commitment to sustained funding over the next 5 to 15 years to bring infrastructure in Indigenous communities up to Canadian standards. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller acknowledges this reality, but explains that this first $6 billion piece of promised funding is intended as short-term stimulus for shovel-ready projects. $4.3 billion of it over four years will be directed to immediate infrastructure needs in Indigenous communities and to ensure these investments don't go to waste, a further $1.7 billion over five years, with $388.9 million in the years following, are earmarked to cover ongoing operations and maintenance of infrastructure on reserve. While noting the $18 billion pledge is historically significant, Minister Miller assured... We are still resolved in closing the infrastructure gap, but we have to continue to measure it. That involves a process that involves every single community out there to establish what their infrastructure plans are and what the money is. That's what any government should be doing, regardless of their stripes, working relentlessly to close those gaps that are unacceptable in a country such as Canada. And unacceptable indeed those gaps are. Though Canada ranked 12th internationally in the 2016 United National Human Development Index, on-reserve populations ranked 78th. Mm. Along with these infrastructure dollars, the budget offers $597.6 million over three years for a First Nations, Inuit, and Métis Nation mental health and wellness strategy. While this is less than half of what the Assembly of First Nations requested, Vice Chief David Pratt of the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations in Saskatchewan says, It's going to expand community-based supports and capacity. We think that's key. The budget also pledges an additional $1.2 billion to respond to COVID-19 in Indigenous communities for things such as personal protective equipment, isolation units, and hiring nurses. $2.2 billion to address the crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. $2.5 $2.5 billion over five years for Indigenous early learning and child care as part of the government's promise to bring $10 per day daycare nationwide. $515 million for on-reserve before and after school care, plus additional support for First Nation Inuit and Métis programming. And $1.4 billion over five years and $40.6 million per year in the years following for First Nation and Inuit, but for some reason not Métis, Healthcare services, including money to ensure access to clean water and to manage the health impacts of climate change. If you are feeling triggered, the National Indian Residential School Crisis Hotline can be reached at 1 866 925 4419. Hey there, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Hey, uh, did you get something in the mail lately? Yes, um, Miss V Mysteries. I yeah, little... I did too. Awesome. Bedside reading. Yes. Um, for those who don't know, the Miss V Mysteries is an LGBTQ plus cozy mystery series written by Delilah Knight. Miss V is 60, trans, and classy, sassy, and a bit smart assy. 
from her kitten heels to her chic bob, Miss V is a lady through and through. When her late aunt's lawyer is found murdered, and clutching V's favorite Chanel jacket, she is immediately arrested. Can she find the real killer before the local law puts her away for good? Will she be forced to trade 50s rock and roll for jailhouse blues? Do prisons even have a happy hour? Well, none of the ones I've been in. Wait, what? What? There's a story there. No. We'll talk about that after the ad. Miss V and the Letras Lawyer is the first book in a humorous, cozy mystery series from by ace author Delilah Knight. On sale now wherever ebooks are sold. Paperback copies are also available or call your local library and ask them to get it in. Signed copies available at www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. That's www.corvidmoonpublishing, all in one word, dot com. The Miss V Mysteries. You need to be reading it. And hello, kids. Thank you for staying with us. Um, our next guest, our guest for our interview is um, someone we're very, very honored to have. Uh, because if you listen to our last episode, um, we were talking about how it's difficult to find someone that can speak with any degree of authority uh, on issues of importance to indigenous uh, people uh, who happen to be uh, we to, with whom we happen to be sharing the land. And, um, uh, and it's hard to, like, we've asked, uh, and, uh, many people, and we totally respect that because when we ask people for an interview, we make our offers, no heat, no judgment, no pressure, right? Safe space. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, one person told me that they would love to, but, uh, given the work in the area, they've just seen and heard so much that they just don't have it. And, uh, you know, given that the indigenous community does not represent a huge share of the population and there's a lot of work, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that work falls on the same shoulders uh, and they go out. Like if you look at Cindy Blackstock, she's everywhere, but she's talking about a lot of the things the same time over years and years that takes it. It takes a chunk out of you. Yes. Right. So, uh, some person uh, on Twitter with whom uh, I've been following and who follows me, uh, and for some time now, uh, wrote something absolutely fantastic uh, soon after uh, news of the discovery of the uh, unmarked grave in uh, Kamloops uh, went out and uh appropriately shocked the nation Mm -hmm. should not have surprised but shocked um that's the key thing it uh, didn't surprise but it is a shock it is a shock yeah we should be shocked yes yes (laughs) we should not be surprised no but we should be shocked um and uh and viscerally viscerally i mean this time it was in your face Mm -hmm like right under your nose, you have to look at it. You can't ignore it. You can't, it's there. You mustn't look right? away. Yeah. And, 
so yeah uh that came out and uh people are there are people right now there's a moment right now and there are people that are ready to hear things that they may not have been ready to hear before Mm -hmm. there are people that are having feelings about this and would like to express them however um you know it requires uh, bravery and courage uh, to go out and start speaking about a subject uh, that is not your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, especially if you don't have the words, you don't have the vocabulary because you know, you're going to make mistakes. Right. Yes. And you know, somebody's going to call them on, call you on them mm-hmm. and not everybody's going to be kind about it because, you know, welcome to the world of the web. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that makes people not want to stick their necks out. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I'm a, 53 year old white man I'm not the one I'll I'll tell you my feelings and then I'm going to sit back and listen and learn from those who can truly teach me and Mm -hmm. and you know the thing is we're we're a lot of people like me are going to get really uncomfortable I me possibly less so because I've been getting uncomfortable for the past 15 years learning from people who have walked in shoes that I can never walk in. Mm-hmm. I can never, I can never experience what it's like to be a woman, to be a gay man, to be a trans person, to be a black person, to be an indigenous. I can never experience that. So I, I do my best to try and listen and learn as much as possible. And in the beginning, it was difficult to hear. It, it was ego crushing but I had to remind myself from a dear friend said, Paul, this is not about you. Sit back, shut up and listen, listen. And I said, thank you, Rachel. That was what I needed to hear. And I needed to hear it from somebody who could say it to me in a manner that would um, not set me off. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, my mm-hmm. fur wouldn't get up if you, like I, I, I could hear those words from her and go, you're right. I'm just going to listen and learn. So the last Mm -hmm. 15 years, I've been doing a great deal of that. And guess what? I'm still learning and I'm never going to stop. And I will never fully understand. I will never Mm -hmm. fully understand because how could I? But I'm going to do my best to to try and be the best person and the best ally I can be. Mm -hmm. And this is a subject that um, I don't have any experience in. Right? I I don't. Um, So it's time for me to listen and learn again. So with that, because ironically, we've given a very long introduction. (laughs) Yes, we have. We have. But our guest, first of all, has the coolest Twitter handle, Bryce and the Gative. (laughs) That's pretty badass. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. He's Mi'kmaq. He's two spirit. Uh, uh, Kits, please uh, lend your ears to Bryson Sillaboy. Hello, Bryson. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Bryson. Hello. Thank you for having me. Mm. We're very, We're very happy, very happy you're here. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Bryson. Uh, I'm from um, uh, Cape Breton <laughs> in Nova Scotia, uh, which is called uh, Unamagi in, in Mi'kmaq. I'm, I'm Mi'kmaq. Um, and Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, PEI, and such as, you know, in a place called uh, Mi'kma'ki, where we're from. Yeah. I know the area Welcome. Well. We're really, really glad to have you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Again. 
Um, Bryson, with a lot of people, uh, the subject coming up, like I said, a lot of people want to get involved and uh, mm -hmm. don't really know how to or wondering. So uh, Bryson, uh, just out of the goodness of his heart one day seeing a need, uh, published uh, some tips for mm -hmm. people who would like to be uh, allies. So actually calls it uh, Indigenous Allyship Etiquette. I guess, and well, you know, that I like the sound of that. <laughs> I do too. I do too. Yeah, because that, that um, classy. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, because you know, like you're coming into a space that's that's you know could be kind of foreign. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, I kind of decided that you know people need a crash course in it. Um, yeah, and I I just sat down for a couple hours and typed away with my thumbs and next thing i know i found 30 points that i uh that i i came out of my head <laughs> you know and this is like a personal kind of um list you know like because like you know us indigenous people we're all different mm -hmm. uh, just like anybody else right mm -hmm. so i thought that this was the best in my teachings that i could i could um give to uh non-native people mm -hmm. Okay, so, so it's time for us to learn. Please take it away. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the first um, the first point is uh, is allyship is first and foremost uh, an earned position uh, that takes time and effort. It is not automatically granted because you did a thing once. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, most importantly, it can be re revoked at any time for any reason without your say. Uh, respect goes a long way and you'll see that uh, respect is throughout the whole list really mm -hmm. so so if i'm understanding this it's like for example i can't declare myself necessarily an ally right somebody's yeah. going to determine like you're an ally and that happens yeah. after you know you've you've rolled up your sleeves and you put in some sweat equity and some elbow grease and yeah. me for example and mr grizzly and i by doing this show and having you on once is not no, not, not even close. No. Not even close. It's the start. Of it's, it. it's a step. It's a step, <laughs> yeah. right? right? I'm not going to break my arm, yeah. pat myself on the back, saying, "Look, look at the great ally I am for." No, no. Yeah, that's not it. That's not how it works. You don't get to declare yourself an ally. That yeah. okay. is declared by others, not you, especially old white guys like me. We don't. We don't <laughs> declare that. It is not our no. place to do it. All right. Yeah. And then the, um, the second point is, uh, you know, don't do not center yourself or your feelings in indigenous issues. Uh, you know, you're here to learn and, you know, with allyship, it's a learning process. It's going to take a lifetime to learn as, as you said, you know, um, and with centering, you know, you just don't, you don't want to make it about yourself, you know, like you're, you're a guest into this, into this, uh, situation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We're here to you observe respect and learn. Space. Respect. Yeah. yeah. Respect. Yeah. Listen, right. that's the hard Next part, one? right? That's the hard part for us is to listen. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know. And, uh, the third one is, uh, respect boundaries of indigenous people. Uh, we all have different boundaries and, you know, as I said, you know, we're all different. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what, uh, what I say about allyship is totally different than what my sister would say, or my, my, you know, cousin, you know, two 
provinces away, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, yeah, it's, it's different. But, you know, like if if you're around the, the region that you're you're doing allyship, you'll learn pretty quickly what the protocols are in, in spaces for that uh, nation or that uh, specific reservation and stuff like that. Okay. Very true. Very true. And the uh, fourth point is very short and simple. It's uh, no tone policing. Okay. Now for our, we uh, on our blog, uh, we had somebody actually asking this, what is tone policing? I tried to give my best definition, but. You know, it's uh tone policing is kind of um, somebody, somebody coming to you and saying, check your feelings, you know, like, you know, say if I, I'm being barraged by a racist person um, and, you know, I say F off, you know, like, Mm-hmm. They'd be like, "Oh, you can't say that because you got to respect them." I'm no, like, no, you don't no. have to respect them. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, and it's just like it's like you know, like for especially for indigenous people, like you know, we're getting we're getting hate, you know, twenty four seven sometimes, you know, and it, it wears down on you. So you know, like sometimes, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be emotional when when you speak, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, because we all do it. You know, and and for for a non-indigenous person to say, "Hey, like you know, calm down on that." It uh, yeah, that's tone policing. Okay, yeah, and it's the worst uh, thing you can do. Yeah, yeah. Now, I had a question because mm-hmm. people find themselves in various situations, yes, and without tone policing, if someone is participating in a conversation like this, and the conversation is taking is becoming aggressive. What's the delicate way or the appropriate way of letting someone know that the aggressivity may not be necessary because you're not here as an enemy? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> for me, like, you know, like it's okay for somebody to tell me to take a step back, you know, take a breather. Um, you know, for other people, it, it could be like anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, that's that, a pretty tough question. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I had a situation where I was discussing with someone that was actually mm-hmm. very interesting. And I was thinking, Oh my God, this would, person would be very interesting to have on the podcast. Yeah. And the discussion uh, centered around anger. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, you don't have to preach to me that the anger is justified and legitimate and righteous. Right. And that we're going to be exposed to it and that we need to get used to it. And it's going to make us uncomfortable that I'm there. Right. You're preaching to the choir on that one. But if I want to talk about, okay, what do we do with anger? Cause anger is a fire. It's a fuel, right? Yeah. We can channel it. We can use it you know, after what you know, we were. Okay. We agree that the anger is justified and righteous. righteous. What do we do with it? It's, yeah. And it, so and I think that I asked that and then I got accused of tone being of tone policing. Hmm. Well, I think like another thing with that is like, you know, like there's a difference between having like anger and then having that anger get personal, you know, um, it's, you know, like I can be angry at somebody, but when I start, you know, berating how they look or like, you know, how much they weigh or like where, you know, 
if they have parents or not and blah, 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 blah. You know, that's mm-hmm. getting personal. And I'm mm-hmm. like, whoa, I'm getting way too angry. You know, like somebody needs to calm me down, Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, I've, I've gotten that far and, and it's not pretty to do, but you know, mm-hmm. we, we all do it. We all do it. We all do it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, we and we, we all have pent up anger from something. At, there's something at, at some point in our life that, that created yeah. a, a pent up angry energy that every now and then like a volcano just, you know, erupts and yeah. It, it, it'd be wonderful if we knew when it was going to happen when we, and we could totally control it. But that's, I mean, we're human beings. We're not robots. We're not automatons. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And when you <laughs> add, like when there's something like this issue that's deep seated and a long time, it's like this undercurrent, this, this river yeah. that's running under thing. Because add that to just like the daily BS, every like you come to every conversation with everything you brought brought with you in during that day. Mm-hmm. So sometimes yeah. you're reading a tweet like this and it's just, you know, somebody's going like, what did you mean by that? Like this and is asking like that and you're reading it. What did you mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. Just go off. <laughs> that's yeah, that's the thing it's about like, print. What, what, what filter are you, what, what lens, how dark is the lens or how rosy is the lens on any given day? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know like I can, I can get pretty angry because I know how intergenerational my anger is. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen how my mother got, and how my grandparents got because they were in the residential schools. So you know, like it, it weighs on you so much. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And one, yeah, and one little comment can set you off. Mm-hmm. <sighs> or one little comment can motivate you to be like, hey, like. I'm going to change your ways. Yeah. I don't care how long it takes me. <laughs> well, you know, um, what, what is uh, love and kindness and compassion can go a long way. There are some yeah. people that don't deserve any of those things. And I know that sounds terrible for me to say that. No, but it's true. You know who those people are. They're just yeah. filled with hate and rage and there's nothing that I am capable of doing, of changing them. They need professional therapy, probably some medication, and they probably will never get it because they don't think there's anything wrong with themselves. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's like the question, right? Saying hateful people never stop to ask themselves, am I being hateful here or... um... They don't. Because they think they're right about everything. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's continue on. Please. Okay, number five is uh, race shifting is a huge problem in allyship. Uh, no one cares about your 10 times grandmother's mystical native origins. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, uh, we get this all the time. Like, you know, like, we have people like, oh, yeah, you know, I I, I took a DNA test and, you know, I'm 2% indigenous, you know, and yeah. stuff like that. So, like, yeah, like, they kind of... You know, and again, it goes into into the other point of, um, you know, of of don't center yourself. You know, uh, mm-hmm. they become so in, enthralled in it that it becomes their personality, and next thing you know, they're on some board of something, and you know, being the indigenous advisor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat> 
Yeah. <clears throat> that like that episode of Seinfeld when Kramer, I'm one sixty fourth Cherokee. Yeah. What, what the hell does that mean? Come on, really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> But you're right, it, and it's always, now this person is the, on the advisory board to, well, well, hang on a second now. Come on, really? But yeah. it happens all the time, right? Too many, yeah. Too and many again, examples. It, it's yeah. a white person centering themselves. Yeah. They're making it about themselves. That's what yeah. it is. And as as you can see, like all these points are all interconnected. Yep. You know? Yeah. That is, of course, just a snippet of the extended interview we had with Bryson, who was incredibly kind to us and very generous with his time. So we thank you very much for that, Bryson. We hope you'll uh, listen to the rest of the interview. We have the extended format available. We will be posting it in a couple of days. Thanks a lot, eh? We'll be right back after this. Hey there, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Hey, uh, did you get something in the mail lately? Yes, um, Miss V Mysteries. I yeah, little... I did too. Awesome. Bedside reading. Yes. Um, for those who don't know, the Miss V Mysteries is an LGBTQ plus cozy mystery series written by Delilah Knight. Miss V is 60, trans, and classy, sassy, and a bit smartassy. From her kitten heels to her chic bob, Miss V is a lady through and through. When her late aunt's lawyer is found murdered, and clutching V's favorite Chanel jacket, she is immediately arrested. Can she find the real killer before the local law puts her away for good? Will she be forced to trade 50s rock and roll for jailhouse blues? Do prisons even have a happy hour? Well, none of the ones I've been in. Wait, what? What? There's a story there. No. We'll talk about that after the ad. Miss V and the Lettrous Lawyer is the first book in a humorous, cozy mystery series from by Ace author Delilah Knight. On sale now wherever ebooks are sold. Paperback copies are also available, or call your local library and ask them to get it in. Signed copies available at www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. That's www.corvidmoonpublishing, all in one word, dot com. The Miss V Mysteries. You need to be reading it. And we're back. At this point in the show, Mr. Grizzly and I would like to offer our gratitude to the kids out there who have liked what we do and have kindly tipped us so that we may keep going. Our thanks go to Kit Nicole for her kindness and for saying, great interview with David Mosscrop. Thank you for your support and encouragement. We also have a correction. When presenting the long ago quote from a bishop confirming that the purpose of residential school was to purge that which was indigenous out of the child, I had stated that Angus Anderson, the gentleman who had brought it to my attention, was Inuit. That was an error on my part. Inuit is the word for people. So if I say, an Inuit person, I'm basically saying a person people. It's redundant. So that was an error on my part. He is Inu. So I sincerely apologize, Angus, and thank you for letting us know because it is only respectful to get such matters right. Agreed. Yeah. Thank you, kids, for this great feedback. We appreciate it. So if you have a comment, constructive criticism, something you'd like us to talk about on the show, news about something good that happened to you or about something good in which you're involved, we want to hear it. You can write to us on our True North Eager Beaver page on Facebook or 
on Twitter at TrueEager. We would be overjoyed to hear from you. Now, usually at this point, we like to take a quick look at stories that didn't make us want to hurl ourselves off the CN Tower. And this episode is no different. But in keeping with the theme, here are some bits of news that may show that slowly, but surely, peace, love, and acceptance are slowly breaking out all over Turtle Island. Two important Edmonton sports stories. First, CFL's Edmonton football franchise have officially changed their name to the Elks. And following an unfortunate uh, barrage of racist comments following Edmonton Oilers hockey player Ethan Bear accidentally scoring an own goal that led to the team being eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs, not only did he brilliantly respond and elevate the discussion, but the team did not hesitate for one second to stand in solidarity with him. This is good. We need more of this. Yep, much more of this. Good examples. Excellent. Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Marco Mendocino announced that over the next five years, Indigenous Canadians will be able to change their names on official federal government ID to their traditional names free of charge. This does not apply to provincial identification. He also stated that the government is reviewing Canada's citizenship guide to include more history about Indigenous peoples and their contributions to Canada. Statues of Sir John A. Macdonald have come down in the cities of Kingston and Charlottetown, two sites of historical significance to Canadian Confederation, following respective 12 to 1 and unanimous city council votes. The executive team of the new Office of Commissioner of Indigenous Languages has been announced. Ronald A. Ignis was named commissioner with three other Indigenous leaders, one from each of the Inuit, Metis, and First Nations communities Robert Watt, Georgina Liberty, and John Gray Eye, Joan Gray Eyes, pardon me, respectively, were appointed to director roles. I am confident that they will play a key role in promoting Indigenous languages and supporting efforts and aspirations of Indigenous peoples that will allow these languages to flourish and grow, said Federal Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbo. According to the Toronto Star, the role of the Office of the Commissioner of Indigenous Languages, which will operate independently of the federal government, will be to support Indigenous peoples in their self-determining efforts to reclaim, revitalize, maintain, and strengthen Indigenous languages, promote awareness of Indigenous languages, look into funding and on the use of Indigenous languages, resolve disputes in a culturally appropriate way, and review complaints. With apparent joy, Commissioner Ignis exclaimed, We celebrate this day where we breathe new life into all of our Indigenous languages for the future. Our languages will no longer stand in the shadow of other languages here in our land. Let us always honor our indigenous languages. According to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, in the residential schools area, use of indigenous languages was forbidden in an effort to whitewash indigenous children, and thus their preservation is a huge part of self-determination. Protecting, revitalizing, and promoting First Nations, Inuit, and Métis languages is essential to a secure, personal cultural identity. Together, we will continue our progress on the calls to action and addressing the calls for justice, said Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett. A bill to modify the citizenship oath to include wording affirming commitment of new citizens to respecting Canada's treaties with First Nations received royal assent and the oath is already being administered. In what may very well be a historical first, an inherent Anishinaabe law will be enforced by a police service in Ontario. Treaty 3 police will now enforce alcohol in Nagonagawan, 
was a new inherent law intended to punish people who might bring excessive quantities of alcohol into Grassy Narrows' reserve. Those who break the law will, with the help of the police, be brought before a community justice panel and likely face fines and other punishments. The process will also be overseen by the Kakawaseya Justice Department of Grand Council Treaty 3. 150 years ago, our treaty partner, Canada, promised to help us address the harms of alcohol. To date, that promise has gone unfulfilled. Alcoholism stems from a loss of connection to our way of life. We must restore that way of life if we are to heal. Said Chief Randy Fobister. More initiatives of the sort may be coming soon as Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness Bill Blair has stated the government is developing a legislative framework for Indigenous policing as an essential service. And that, kids, is hopefully a bit of news that lets you hope that things are getting better. Well, kids, that's the end of this very special episode of the Eager Beaver podcast. We hope that you found this informative and inspiring and even maybe maddening. Uh, But this one was important to us and uh, it was critical uh, that we do this right for you. We welcome feedback in the form of compliments, bribes to be on the show, constructive criticism, gentle corrections if we got anything factually incorrect or if we've mispronounced something, and happy stories of things that have happened to you or your dear ones. You can do all of that on our Facebook blog page, The True North Eager Beaver, or at True Eager on Twitter. If you like this podcast, tell your friends. They can find us on Google, Spotify, Apple, and Mixcloud. And finally, if you really, really like this podcast, and if it resonated with you, and you wish to encourage us to do more, we work for tips. Please feel free to buy a cup of coffee for Mr. Grizzly here or a mug of hot chocolate for me via our coffee page at coffee.com backslash eagerbeaver. That's ko-fi.com backslash eagerbeaver. From the Beaver Lodge, this is your eager beaver saying, until next time, dear kids, it can be a tough world out there, so be kind to and gentle with yourselves. Mr. Grizzly, any words? Yeah, just try and find peace within yourselves. It's a rough time. Be kind. Yeah, things have been heavy, so if you need a breath, take take one. The True North Eager Beaver podcast is an Eager Beaver, Mr. Grizzly collaboration. Copy written by the Eager Beaver. Recording, production, and editing by Mr. Grizzly. Music courtesy of Ben Sound Royalty Free Music. Once again, thank you to our founding sponsors, The Pepper Master, The Miss V Mysteries, from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com. And thank you to the very kind and patient Bryson Silliboy for agreeing to be our guest this week. Hopefully, more and more of us are on the path to becoming true allies. Be sure to look for the extended in-depth version of the interview later this week. Talk to you soon, kids. If as a consequence of listening to this episode, you are feeling triggered, please practice self-care. The National Indian Residential School Crisis Hotline is there for you and can be reached at 
1-866-925-4419. That's 1-866-925-4419. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.